Hey, and welcome to Evangel Church Online, a safe place to explore faith in Jesus, receive his love, and look more and more like him each day. And today, as we continue our series in Ephesians, I want to convince you that you were chosen. Hey guys, my name is Lucas, one of the pastors here at Evangel Church in beautiful Powell River, British Columbia. Thanks for joining us. Um, let me ask you a question. Do you remember gym class? Uh, for some of you, gym class was the highlight of the day. For others, not so much. Now, here's a classic gym class scenario. Gym teacher gets all the kids to line up against the wall and then selects two people. And those two people come out and they were called captains. And what did the captains do? They began going back and forth, selecting their team. Who remembers that moment? Now there's two types of people in the world. Those that love that format and those that dreaded and hated that format. Now typically those that loved it were the top five, the top six picks in the draft, so to speak, right? For, for you, it was like, a, it was a moment of affirmation. It was a stroking of the ego. It was a recognition of your skills and your prowess and how good you were. Now that's the first group. The second group, you dreaded this moment, especially if you're in like the bottom five. And in that bottom five moment, you're dreading, you're kind of just like dreading and anticipating, I don't want to be the last one picked. Do you, you remember that? And so same experience, same format, same way of picking a team, but experienced in very different kinds of way. Now, I'm not here just to bring up, um, you know, I, I would say gym class maybe, uh, responsible for most of the insecurities maybe that we carry in this life as adults now. Um, I don't want to bring up the trauma of gym class, but today I want to convince you of one simple truth, and it's this. You were chosen. You were chosen. Pastor Marcus last week did a masterful job of giving us an overview and an introduction to our new series as we dig into the book of Ephesians. And this is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus while he was imprisoned. And so there's this kind of um, dichotomy as he opens this letter. And we're going to kind of jump into that and understand. Before we do, let's just pray. Holy Spirit, would you give us an opportunity to see that we were chosen, that those in Christ Jesus were chosen by the creator of all things to be a part of the family of God. Lord, I pray for those exploring faith. Lord, I pray that you would convince them today that they are and were chosen and have opportunity to be a part of that family. So Lord, as we discover, as we take this journey together, Holy Spirit, lead and guide us in truth, we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to start right at the top. Ephesians 
chapter 1. And verse 1 says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now Paul opens his letter to the church in Ephesus with a very typical Pauline greeting. He gives his credentials, an apostle, right? This is the authority in which he's writing. But then he gives the qualifications for that apostleship. Notice what he says, by the will of God. And here's the deal, Paul, Paul had credentials. Paul was impressive, actually, in his credentials. He was a rising star among the religious elite of the first century. Uh, Gamaliel was his teacher. Gamaliel was like preeminent scholar of the law at that moment, well-respected at that time. Paul was like a first-round draft pick. But if you notice where he sources his position of authority from, it's not from his credentials, it's not from his experience, it's not from all of his studies and his education. Where does he source it from? By the will of God. By the will of God. If you're taking notes, write this down. You were chosen not because of your credentials, but simply because he chose you. Not because of your credentials, not because of what you've done or who you are or the potential of who you might be. He chose you because he chose you. And there's a mystery in this. There is a humility in this. There is a, a, a awe in which we recognize that we were chosen, but we were chosen because he chose us. But now we step into a very interesting moment. This is uh, kind of very unlike Paul. Paul is very linear in his thought, precept upon precept. He builds out his arguments so well. And yet the beginning of this letter to the Ephesians is so kind of different. Um, verses in the Greek, verses 3 all the way to 14 in your Bibles, in the Greek is one run-on sentence. There's no punctuation. It's one single sentence. And it's less of a teaching, and it's much more of a, a burst of thanksgiving and praise coming from Paul onto paper. And so this is so interesting as we dig into this moment. So because of this, we're going to have to break it up a little bit. Uh, there's, uh, yeah, just the, the way it's formatted. We're just going to have to break it up and kind of go line by line a little bit. So let's jump into it. Let's break it up. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. I want you to do something for me as we go through this series over the next few weeks. I would like you to kind of take note of how many times and places Paul uses the phrase in Christ or in him, referring to Christ. There's a, there's a concept that Paul is trying to really establish in the Ephesians um, as he teaches them and takes them on this journey. And right here, we're introduced to just how incomprehensible God is. 
Okay, Paul is saying, consider, you were chosen, but, but not only were you chosen, you were chosen before the foundations of the world. Okay, in other words, before God created all things that we know, he chose you. Now let that sink in for a moment. Um, for those of you exploring faith, I know in this moment, maybe there's a ton of disbelief coming. Suspend disbelief for a moment and take this journey with us. Before anything was created, God chose you. And this is so like mind-blowingly incomprehensible. And I understand that. Now, you may ask, like, how is this possible? And here's a spoiler alert. When trying to understand the incomprehensible, uh, we're always going to fall short. We're never going to come to an answer that satisfies. So, so part of the answer is that we're too limited. We're just too limited as human beings to know and understand this dynamic fully. You know, for those of you who have been in the church for a long time, you would know Calvin, you would know uh, Arminius. Uh, we, we have these kind of belief systems and structures, filters, that the five pillars of Calvinism. Or on the other end of the spectrum, the five pillars of Armenianism. And they, 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 they work and they try to give us a framework and an understanding of this dynamic in particular. And yet, both of them fall short. Because part of the answer to this is it's incomprehensible. There's a mystery in salvation and a mystery in the sovereignty of God that we cannot yet understand. But here's the best that I have. Let, let's take it, like, let's unpack a little bit so we can kind of be coming from the same place. If you believe God is creator, then we have to consider that it was God who created all that we know. We know the Genesis account says that he created light and darkness. He separated day and night, separated. There is this concept of time that was introduced in his creation. There was a concept of physical space that was introduced as he created the universe that we know today. And because of that, he exists outside of time and space. When, God, when, when Moses asked God what his name is at the burning bush, God simply responded, I am. I am. I've always been. And I always will be. God has always been. And because of this, he created all things. He exists independent of his creation. And so there's this concept of God's nature that we call omnipresence. God is omnipresent. Everywhere all at once. Now here's the deal. When I was a kid, I always thought of omnipresence in terms of geography. God is everywhere on this planet all at once. He's not restricted by space, geography, distance. He exists everywhere. But then as you get older and you begin to really think about this concept, you realize God is so much bigger. It's so much bigger than that. God is everywhere, all at once, across time and space. He's not restricted by time and space. It's a created thing. And he is the creator. And so there's this idea that God predates time and space. He's beyond time 
and space. God is everywhere all at once. But like I said, this is our feeble attempt to understand the sovereignty and the eternal nature of our Creator. But it's in this context that Paul reminds us of the most important takeaway. You were chosen. Not you are chosen or you will be chosen. You were chosen before the foundations of the world were laid. You were chosen. And this is confirming what Jesus already said in the Gospels. We see him in John, recorded by John in 1516 of John. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So the next question then is, what are we chosen for? Like, okay, he chose us. Now, why did he choose us? What are we chosen for? Paul goes on, verse 5. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And of course, the beloved there, he's speaking of the beloved son, Christ Jesus. So it's chosen for what? What were we chosen for? We are chosen for adoption. We are chosen to become part of the family of God. Now, as we read this, we recognize that we have a 21st century understanding of adoption, this concept of adoption. And the danger is when we interpret scripture through a 21st century understanding and we overlay it onto a first century moment. Now, here's what good hermeneutics, hermeneutics is the study of scripture. Here's what good hermeneutics tell us, that we need to study original language. We need to understand the author. We need to understand the audience to which that author is writing. We need to understand the culture in which that is being written. And if we can begin to understand some of those things, we can draw out conclusions that are more accurate than we, when we overlay our concepts of some of these things. So we need to take a look at adoption from the first century. How would the Ephesians have read and understand this moment as Paul writes this letter? Now, inciting William Barclay, he says the concept of family was summed up by patria potestas, which means the father's power, the father's power. The idea of the Father's power was quite literal, okay? So consider Ephesus, this is Roman occupation. This is Roman and Greek influence all around. And so the Roman historian, Dio Cassius, tells us that the law of the Romans gives a father absolute authority over his son. And that for the son's whole life, as long as that father's alive, it gives him authority. If he so chooses to imprison him, to scourge him, to make him work on his estate as a slave in fetters, even to kill him. Wow. So this is quite literal when we talk about the father's power. Now the flip side is the one that's being adopted is given the rights and privileges 
as a son of the Father. And so this is next level. Barclay continues, the person who had been adopted had all the rights of a legitimate son in his new family and lost absolutely all rights in his old family. In the eyes of the law, he was a new person. So new that he, so new was he that even all debts and obligations connected with his previous family were abolished as if they had never existed. So you can see how this Roman concept of adoption carries with it a lot of weight and imagery as we consider the Heavenly Father reaching out and choosing us. Now one had to be very sure of the character, the temperament of that adopted father, right? If you're going to be adopted by a father and they have complete power over your life, you know, you want to understand, is this a good man? Is this a fair man? Is this a just person? But the father had to be sure as well that he wanted to give full rights to the adopted son. And so Paul, he uses the full weight of this imagery to bring this conclusion home. For those of you in Christ, you were chosen for adoption before the foundations of the world were laid. You were once a son and a daughter of this world. You were essentially a son and a daughter of the first Adam and the first Eve. Where, where our debt for sin was death. Where we carried this debt. And it was death, both, both literal, but also eternal. A death that is a permanent separation from our creator, from God himself. And we were left holding the bag as sons and daughters of the first Adam. But then scripture tells us of the second Adam. And he offers us adoption and this acceptance. And in this offer, it's made possible by Jesus Christ. And it's facilitated by the Holy Spirit. And when we say yes to this, when we say yes to being chosen by him, all of the debts of your old life, all of the debts of your old life are canceled. And you become a new person, a new creation in Christ Jesus. You were chosen for adoption. Now, let me inject a little bit of an, a caveat here. And this is not a caveat to the implications and the, the, the power of being chosen, the power of coming to Christ and, and becoming part of the family. But there, there's an important thing that we need to understand. Because my pet peeve is when preachers uh, sugarcoat the gospel to just make it more palatable, to make it uh, more exciting and easier to uh, kind of walk in and swallow. But so this, this doesn't mean that you are allowed to be released from all the circumstances and consequences of the choices that you've made before Jesus. Now here's the deal. Christ is so good and he's so good to us and he so often resolves and brings clarification and changes our attitudes and, and, and he's so merciful in the way that he takes us on a journey of faith and makes our paths straight. But this does not necessarily mean that you will be removed from the natural consequences of your decisions here in this world pre-Jesus. But here's the promise. Here's the powerful kind of moment. You won't carry them, any of them, into eternity. 
You won't carry any of them into eternity. The work of Christ has made you debt-free when it comes to your standing with our Creator. Verse 7 says, In Him we have redemption. In who? Jesus. We have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven, and things on earth. The, the word redemption here is such an interesting word in the Greek. The, the verb tense of this word means to ransom. To ransom. He's ransomed you through His blood. And of course, this kind of speaks and kind of brings imagery of a hostage situation, right? You, you were in enemy territory. You were held hostage. Um, in 2019, uh, Lisa and I had the opportunity to meet uh, Kevin and Julia Garrett. And Kevin and Julia Garrett, you may know that name. Um, they were imprisoned and detained by China uh, back in 2014. Now here's, here's just an interesting kind of moment in story. They've been missionaries in China since 1984. Uh, in 2008, they started a coffee shop in uh, Dandong. It's a city on the North Korean border. And that's where they did kind of aid and brought aid to the region and worked as missionaries there. Now they didn't realize at the time, but in 2014, Su Bin, a Chinese resident working in Canada, was arrested for cyber espionage. And the US wanted to extradite him from Canada to face trial. And it was soon after this, um, in 2014, this arrest in 2014, that Kevin and Julia were invited by a friend of a friend to a restaurant because this individual wanted to kind of discuss with them the potential of their daughter going and studying abroad and going to Canada for studies. And so they had this kind of dinner in this moment and um, they comment later that it just seemed like very disingenuous and not kind of something was off. And so they finished this dinner and they're in the lobby of this uh, restaurant and this hotel, I guess. And they're walking out to the car. And at that time, two cars show up, men jump out, separate them and arrest them there right on the spot, put them in two separate cars and take them into detainment. The intent was very clear. It was never publicly said uh, by this government, but the intent was very clear. They were going to be held for ransom and the cost of release was going to be Sue Bin. Now, Julia was released February 2015 on bail pending a trial. Kevin, however, he remained in detainment the entirety of the time. In 2016, he was charged with stealing state secrets. And he remained in prison for a total of 775 days. And he was finally released in September of 2016, following Sue Bin waiving extradition and pleading guilty to espionage. Now, I tell you this story because I want to kind of create a sense of that hostage, helpless moment. These, these were two people 
who had families, who had lives, who had ministry, who had calling and purpose and all of those things. And yet in this season of their life, all of that was stripped away and they were held hostage. And what's amazing about their story is the way that God sustained them. Uh, Julia said in an interview with the BBC, I had the sense that my peace cannot be stolen from me. My true freedom cannot be stolen from me. I think there was great comfort in that. This is the power of being ransomed from our sin and our brokenness. The freedom we experience on an existential level cannot be robbed from us. Our circumstances in this natural world can be changed. We can be robbed. We can be beaten. We can be broken. We can, but if we have this moment of understanding that we have been made free in Christ Jesus from an eternal perspective, it changes everything. And then verse 10 kind of really hits home. This kind of eternal perspective. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, in Jesus, things in heaven and things on earth. And I think this is speaking both to a past moment, that moment that Jesus came and he uh, died and he rose again. He defeated death in the grave. There was a, there was a fullness of time. There's a, the scriptures talk about that being a fullness of time. Jesus has won the war. He has brought the victory. But it also kind of alludes to and speaks to a future moment. A moment when Jesus returns again and brings heaven and earth together in original intention. This eternal perspective. And this is the eternal perspective that sees us through the temporary trials of this life. And so here Paul begins to speak of what we've been chosen for. We've been chosen for adoption. But the result of that adoption, there's so much there. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. At the top, I asked you to kind of begin tracking how many times Paul uses the phrase in Christ or, or, or the like, in him, in Christ. And here's the deal. You were chosen. You were chosen for adoption. You were chosen for a purpose, but you also have to choose. You also have to choose to be in Christ, to be partnered with the work that he has done. When, when God looks into this world and he saw us in prison in our sin and our brokenness, he didn't send an ambassador. He didn't send an angel. He didn't send uh, someone to negotiate our release. He came himself. Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of the first century is God. He, he didn't negotiate our release. He sacrificed himself. Our ransom was paid in his blood. And in his resurrection, he defeated the kingdom of the enemy once and for all. And so he invites us to be in Christ, in the work of Christ, in that death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And that's the place that we find 
that we choose him. And it's by faith. And the Holy Spirit will help you do that. He'll give you the faith to believe and the faith to have a revelation and eyes open to see that Jesus chose you. Eternal life, inheritance, adoption, access to God is found in Christ. You are chosen. Will you choose him? You were chosen. Will you choose him? And if you say yes, in that yes, Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, comes and will take up residence in you. And this is the seal that Paul talks about, the Holy Spirit. This seal, this proof, this receipt, so to speak. This assurance, this affirmation that you were chosen, that Christ dwells in you. And so then we seek and we walk towards that inheritance. And that's an inheritance that is yet to come. That's an eternal perspective. That is heaven. That is walking through this life into the next. So this is the seal, the proof, if you will, that one day you will walk fully into that eternal inheritance. But in the meantime, he is the peace and the assurance that we carry as we live in this world, but not of this world. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you that you, you I'm, I'm such, uh, I'm so feeble. There's so very little that I can contribute to this moment. But Holy Spirit, you are my strength. You are our strength. You, Holy Spirit, are the one that reveals the risen Jesus. And so in this moment, I pray that you would reveal Jesus to each and every one of us. That, Lord, we would have eyes to see that we were chosen. That we were chosen. That, Jesus, you came and you died to ransom us. To give us an opportunity to be sons and daughters of the living God. So in this moment, Lord, I pray that you give us the faith to say yes. The faith to say, Jesus, come into my life. I want to be partnered with you. I want to be in Christ. I want to be in Christ. Partner with what you've done. To wipe the slate clean. To forgive the debts of that old family under Adam and Eve and humanity and its brokenness. Lord, make me a new creation. Make me a new person in Christ Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, friend, if you prayed that prayer, if you have just the Spirit is doing something in your heart and your life, and we would love to chat with you. You can DM us. You can find us on socials. You can email us. Uh, visit myevangel.church to find uh, ways to contact us. We would love to hear your story, answer any questions you might have. Uh, in the meantime, have a great week. God bless.